Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, what is the importance of closure? Is there really such a thing? And how does it relate to a story about how a waiter can remember your order without writing it down? This is the Sark Fighter podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and Happy New Year. This is episode 103 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. I am recording today. Actually, it's on December 30th, 2023, but it'll be January 1st when you are first able to begin listening to this. But I want to wish you and yours a Happy New Year and with the hope that uh, however sarcoidosis is touching your life as we start a new calendar year, that everything is as good as it possibly can be. And uh, remember, I do the podcast to help you understand what's going on with you, to help give you a sense of hope as you deal with this unpredictable disease. And today, I'm actually going to delve a little bit into how hope works. Now, a note about the previous episode, episode 102 uh, with Sharon Fantasi. I uploaded it as episode 102A because I realized while listening in my car that I had somehow cut, somehow basically cut and pasted some random audio into the beginning of the interview. And then that's, it jumped all over the place before it equalized. So I must have hit some button on my keyboard that I didn't know was a button for paste. And so there, just, there were just a couple of stray clips of audio that really made it difficult to get going on that interview with her. So my apologies to her, to Sharon, and uh, and and to you, the listeners. Um, but I did go in, I cut out the bad parts, and it is re-uploaded. But if you uh, want to listen to it, you want to listen to episode 102A, not episode 102. I did leave episode 102 out there because this is me being selfish, but I I would have lost credit for several hundred downloads. Um, And I do like to track the number of downloads. uh, And and that's just a little personal game that I play. And so it's still in there. But if you're going to listen to it, uh, I'm fessing up and saying you need to listen to 102A. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, as I'm talking to you right now, I have COVID. (sighs) Yeah, I'm on the mend, but I got to tell you, this is a lousy way to spend my holiday vacation. I had this whole week off between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, In fact, I'm headed back to work on January 2nd, and I'm thinking that if my math is right in terms of when I was exposed and when I came down with it, I won't be contagious anymore by January 2nd. And if I go by the rules, according to our HR department, I should be safe to go back to work. Uh, without having to wear a mask and do a whole bunch of disclosures and all the other things that come with COVID. So anyway, uh, but I am now spending my time off uh, just kind of dealing with this, and it's it's not great. So and all this I can trace back to Christmas morning. My daughter-in-law, Beth, was the first. Uh, we were all together, the whole Carlin family was together on Christmas morning. By that, I mean my wife and I, our three kids, their wives, and all the grandchildren. And then the next day, I uh, I got up, I got in the car at 8 a.m. and started driving north to visit my parents. 
uh, who live in central New York, and they are elderly. And as I'm about halfway up there, so from western Virginia, be thinking I'm somewhere in, in Pennsylvania, um, I get a text from Beth. The whole family gets a text from Beth on our group chat. And she says, oh, my God, I just tested positive for COVID. I felt pretty good yesterday. And then this morning I didn't feel so good. So I thought I'd check. And sure enough, uh, she tested positive. So, again, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through a nine to ten hour drive. And I'm thinking, man, do I do I turn around? I mean, my mom is, is not in great health. My dad is, they're both in their late eighties. They're both 89, in fact. Um, but I decided to keep going. And, uh, in the meantime, I can tell you that of that family that gathered Christmas morning at our house, uh, we all began falling like dominoes of the 15 who are there, including the seven grandkids. So far, so far, eight of us have tested positive. Like really, really? My wife, Mary, is holding out. I don't know how. She took a test uh, just a couple of hours ago, and she is still negative, as are uh, my son Ben's family is all negative, uh, he and his wife and uh, their daughter, Addison. But um, this morning, I did learn that my mom, who is 89, I'm back home now. Uh, I was up there for three days. My mom, who's 89 and in very bad health, has tested positive, so... Now I'm feeling super guilty. Uh, I'm feeling guilty for not having turned around as I learned that Beth was positive. Uh, at the time, I felt fine. Absolutely no, no symptoms. Um, but if you weigh the odds, uh, and, you know, and then that I, that I might get it at that point, what I was thinking at that moment in time. And the fact that honestly, my mom and dad live so far away and they live in a very remote area. It's not like you can fly up there, Okay. Uh, it would take just as long to fly as it would to drive by the time you rent a car and then drive from a remote from an airport to their remote farmhouse in the southern Adirondacks. Um, I, you know, I probably am not going to see my folks again for several months. Uh, it was also Christmas. Um, my sister is having some real life struggles right now. She was unable to visit immediately. And so my mom and dad were all alone, and I thought, you know, I had Christmas gifts for them, and I just didn't want them being alone on Christmas. And so thinking back, I don't think I would have made a different decision. Uh, and for what it's worth, my dad, who again, who's 89, he still works selling real estate. Uh, he told me that my visit picked my mom up a lot and not to feel bad about it. So, um, and she's had COVID multiple times and so she should have a lot of antibodies and she's had the boosters and all of that. So we're just hoping for the very best. But as of right now, she is, um, she, her symptoms are very mild here on the onset day and we're just hoping that it stays that way. So anyway, um, long, that is my tale of woe. Uh, I'm hoping that all of this didn't happen to you while you were visiting with your family for Christmas, because if it is the same strain of COVID that went through my family, I got to tell you that this is uh, very, very contagious. And my bad, I did not get the most recent booster. Um, it's not from lack of intention. It's not because I don't believe in it. I was busy and I, I didn't get to it in time. And all of a sudden it was Christmas. So uh, I do intend to go out as soon as I am able to get my flu shot. So 
Um, lesson learned. All right. On the brighter side, Santa was very good to me this year. The family pitched in and bought me a trailer for my kayak. And they also bought me a second kayak. And this trailer will carry two. So this was this was, was, was kind of like a commercial, right? It was one of those mornings, like you know, where like everybody comes out and there's the bow on the car, except it wasn't a car; it was a kayak. I, I went. I, we were all done opening the presents. My son Ben hands me this card. And he says, "Wait, we have one more thing." Uh, and inside the card was in his handwriting a little note that said, "Please exchange for a kayak trailer bonus loaded with a second kayak." So they take me outside, and there in the cul-de-sac was the trailer with the kayak on it. Um, And this is uh, one of the newer fishing kayaks that instead of paddling, like with your paddle, you have bicycle pedals and a propeller that drops down through the middle of the boat into the water so your hands are free and you just use your feet to make the kayak go and there's a rudder in the back that steers it as you make your way to wherever you believe the fish are. And this was important for me, not so much that I have the new kayak, that's just totally bonus, but I needed the trailer because my older fishing kayak was too heavy. Um, when I got it, uh, I was uh, very early in the disease. My, my upper body strength was much stronger. I also had a different car that I didn't care if I scratched. I had an old beat-up SUV. Uh, since then, that car has died, and I have a new SUV, at which I do care if I scratch. And so I wasn't able to get my old kayak on the car anymore, and so therefore I couldn't use it. So um, the trailer was something that I had mentioned to my wife, like back in the early fall. And I said, you know, if I had a trailer, I could just, you know, haul this thing up on the trailer, which is only like three feet high. And I could tie it down and I could could take my kayak and go fishing, which is something that I love to do. So anyway, the the trailer solved the problem. And then uh, my sons and Mary, uh, actually, Mary wasn't even involved in the decision. My sons sort of got there to the to the trailer place where they also sell kayaks and they said let's get dad that and and they did and so i am so excited but i I have to tell you that here in this part of virginia it's not kayak season yet it's not even close uh probably it will be late march early april before i can go out and really try this thing in fact i mean we had snow flurries last night so the trailer's parked in my driveway right now. Both kayaks are tied down on it. And I find myself, I just kind of go out and and look at them in anticipation of being able to just go kayaking when I want, when time permits, without having to worry about loading and unloading anymore. And now I'm telling you this story for a reason, not just because I'm so excited, but believe it or not, I think I can tie back into the thought that I have today for this podcast, and maybe even that teaser I gave you about what it has to do with the story about the waiter who remembers your order without writing it down. And, you know, have you ever been to a restaurant where the waiter never takes out a pad or whatever? I mean, they do that a lot at IHOP, which I think is amazing. But when you go to a nice restaurant and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, what will you have? And you give them your drinks and you give them your appetizers and the waiter, the server says, uh, very good, I'll be right back. And pretty soon here it comes, never wrote it down. I, that's always amazed me. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to that, okay? 
Um, but first of all, as you know, if you've been listening, I'm a news anchor for the local NBC station here in Roanoke, Virginia, and I've pretty much been there since 1987, so a long time. And I thought, first of all, I would do my news job and bring you some updates uh, on sarcoidosis-related news as we get started here in 2024. So, first of all, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, FSR, has awarded $100,000 in grants to two researchers. And this is some pretty promising research. So I'm just going to read a bit of the news release to you. I'm just going to hit the high points. This gets very technical, very fast. And uh, I'll put a link to it from the FSR website if you want to read it in more detail. Some people have a better tolerance for this than others. And and I know from doing TV news for a long time and teaching it uh, that uh, it's much easier when when things get complicated for somebody to read something something than to listen to something, okay? Uh, and also, please forgive me that uh, both of the recipients of these awards have very foreign-sounding names, and uh, I apologize in advance, but I'll do my best to get it right. So let me read to you from this news release. So here we go. FSR has awarded two grants, each in the amount of $50,000, to Centil Selvaraj, MD, MS, MA, Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Section of Advanced Heart Failure and Transplant at Duke University Medical Center and a faculty member at the Duke Molecular Physiology Institute for his innovative project, Diagnostic Utility of SGLT2 Inhibition to Facilitate Myocardial Glucose Suppression during evaluation of cardiac inflammation on FDG-PET. Okay, I told you it would get complicated fast, but there's a more generalized version on there, but I thought since that was the actual name of his study that I would include that. And then also the second researcher is Daniela Siakova, MD, PhD, D, ABMLI. Lots of of initials there for lots of credentials. I don't even begin to know about all of that, but but she is the professor of immunology in the Department of Pathology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and Department of Molecular Microbiology and Immunology at the Bloomberg School of Public Health at the Johns Hopkins University, which by the way is an FSR Global Sarcoidosis Clinic Alliance founding member. And her project is called 3D Morphological and Spatial Transcriptomic Analysis of Cardiac Sarcoidosis. This is a quote from one of the recipients. We are absolutely delighted to receive this funding support from FSR. With this grant, we aim to improve the specificity of cardiac sarcoidosis diagnosis with FDG-PET using a novel strategy incorporating combined SGLT1-2 inhibition with a, uh, a drug that I cannot pronounce, but I'll spell it out for you. It's S-O-T-A-G-L-I-F-L-O-Z-I-N. Further, we leverage a strong academic collaboration between Duke University and the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm starting to broad brush this because uh, this is getting very complicated very quick. Um, But um, Mary McGowan, the CEO of FSR, 
says that FSR is thrilled to support this extraordinary project through our cardiac sarcoidosis-specific grant, said Mary McGowan. The learnings from this research could be groundbreaking in improving diagnosis, prognosis, assessment, and treatment management of not only those living with cardiac sarcoidosis, but for many other inflammatory diseases. Now, so what I will tell you is that in the past, because this podcast is sponsored by and brought to you by FSR, they have been able to link me up with some of these grant recipients. And I would be hopeful that sometime in the next 12 months, I'll be able to talk to both of these folks. And, you know, what I have found is is that these scientific papers um, are scary it, to, to the layperson, such as myself. But they are very good at breaking it down, and they can say, well, what we do is we look at the cell, and we look for this marker, and, and then we find there's this new drug, and we found that there's been a great deal of promise uh, with this drug in stopping this from happening inside of a cell and so forth and so on. And then, and, and that stops the trigger for sarcoidosis or they hope it stops the trigger for sarcoidosis. And one of the, one of the other things, and I'm looking at the pictures of both of these folks and they'll, they're, this will be in the show notes, by the way. Um, so, uh, you can either go to the FSR website or you can just click on the show notes. Uh, they're both young researchers, uh, certainly, certainly uh, in their 30s or very early 40s. And one of the things that that the folks at FSR has done very well is they have found these young researchers who are looking for a career trajectory and saying, you know, if if you're looking for something to research, why not sarcoidosis? And let us make it easy for you. We'll give you a grant, and over the next two or three years, you can you can work on this and you can look into it and we'll give you the funding to make sure that you you have some sort of a revenue stream and in the meantime uh, sarcoidosis uh, will will be getting some movement and so these folks clearly if you listen to their credentials really really know what's going on so that is one piece and now i want to read to you something that came down in early to mid december on uh, sarcoidosis news which is a newsletter that i subscribe to and let me uh, read to you about that so this was posted by steve Bryson, PhD, on December 6th of 2023. It's entitled Biomarker Detects Multiple Organ Involvement at Sarcoidosis Diagnosis. So what I can tell you right off the bat is is that they have found a way to do a blood test and they are finding some indicators in those blood tests that can tell you if you have sarcoidosis in more than one organ. So if you're listening right now and you have sarcoidosis, the research indicates that more than 90% of you have pulmonary sarcoidosis. But if you've listened to the podcast, you know lots of people, lots of uh, patients have come on and they've said, yeah, um, I started out, I had it in my lungs, and now it turns out I have it in my spleen, and oh, I think my doctors think I have eye involvement, uh, or it's in my heart, um, or you know, any, any, some version of that, right? So here is what they have found. Um, Blood levels of the 
angiotensin converting enzyme. You probably know that as ACE, A-C-E from your blood test, a common sarcoidosis biomarker. We're able to distinguish between newly diagnosed sarcos patients with single versus multiple organ involvement, according to a study. Also higher blood levels of interleukin-2 receptor an inflammatory marker were linked with multiple organ involvement. So ACE and ILR2 levels appeared to increase as more organs were involved. So the worst case of sarcoidosis, the worse it looks on your blood test. Um, back to the news release, patients who responded to treatment saw the levels of both markers drop significantly, whereas unresponsive patients saw no change. Now, these findings show ACE and IL-2R are useful blood biomarkers, quote, in the initial evaluation of organ involvement, as well as monitoring prognosis in sarcoidosis, according to the researchers, which they wrote in SACE and IL-2R as serum biomarkers for evaluation of multi-organ involvement and prognosis of sarcoidosis, which was published in the journal Respiratory Research. In sarcoidosis, small clumps, you know this, of inflammatory cells called granulomas form in one or more organs and they interfere with their function. The lungs and the lymph nodes most often affected, but often the granulomas, the granulomas can appear anywhere. And so this is a very long post, but I'll, I'll jump down a little bit here. Uh, in this study, the patients were enrolled, uh, enrolled in a Chinese hospital between March of 2013 and September of 2021, more than half had between two and seven organs involved, and 42.1% of the cases also had lymph node involvement. Abnormal calcium metabolism was reported in 20.3% of the patients, and there were no significant differences regarding age or sex among patients with single versus multiple organ involvement. And so it, it goes on and on. And again, um, I am not going to, I'm not going to read this whole news release. Again, this should be credited to Sarcoidosis News and to Steve Bryson, PhD, and also to the researchers uh, who published their findings in respiratory research. Uh, what I want you to know is that this research is being done and that they have found a way through a simple blood test that looks very promising in terms of being able to find out if you have sarcoidosis in one organ or in multiple organs. So um, that, I think, is just fantastic news in terms of, you know, you go into this and you don't know what you got. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know, you know, are you going to have to have all these biopsies? You know, they're going to have to, you know, go in and, and take a, a snippet of something from, your spine, in my case, in, in my case, my spine. But if, you know, if you if they think you've got it in your spleen, or if they think you have it in your eyes, but they know you have sarcoidosis, well, they'll know to keep looking, right? They'll they'll know that you've got more problems than just than just whatever it is that's presenting itself. Uh, I, I thought though both of those things were cause for hope, and they, you know they suggest that that there is an advance in the battle against sarcoidosis on the medical front and, and that there's hope out there, right? There's the possibility of, of a cure somewhere down the road or, or at least better treatments. Uh, and we'll continue to look at all of those things 
here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. Now, speaking of which, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've heard from a lot of people uh, over the um, the holidays. My inbox has, uh, I've received some nice notes from people telling me they enjoy the podcast. And I always, I always really do appreciate that. And I think you'll be hearing from some of those people as guests uh, coming up in 2024. But I would like to ask you to help all of us make the podcast more effective uh, and reach more people and grow the show. If you just share it on your social media, if you talk to somebody in the doctor's office, let them know, hey, there's this FSR Sark Fighter podcast out there. They're doing some great things. Would you, you know, maybe listen to it or share it with your patients? Or, you know, if you've heard about some recent research, maybe you can reach out to FSR and and they'll get with John and, you know, and we'll, we'll get this out there in front of a lot more people. Uh, and you can tell them that, uh, that I've had over 70,000 downloads, right? Uh, don't tell them that I've had it. Tell them that there have been over 70,000 downloads as you make your argument to said doctor, said researcher, said other patient uh, who might be in your um, you know, in your in your group or whatever, or your support group, uh, let them know that this is an actual way to to reach other people in the sarcoidosis space. Okay, I'm very excited about this little dissertation I have put together today. I'm going to be talking about closure, about why we need it, and how in the world it has anything to do with that waiter in the restaurant who can remember your order. And I'm also going to take a swing at tying that all back to my new Christmas kayak. I feel like a zombie Just feeding at stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. Over the holidays, I listened to uh, listened to an episode of one of my favorite podcasts called Freakonomics. It's wonderful, uh, and basically their approach to the world is that money is the hidden side to everything. But they have found lots of hidden sides to everything, and they are so good at just holding something up to the light and turning it every which way possible. One of my favorite podcasts they did of last year, just just as a quick aside, was uh, why why do people hate roundabouts? And I probably I tuned in on that because they just installed a roundabout not too far from my house. And there was this really weird three-way intersection in the middle of a curve. And they went in and it took them like a year and a half. But they put in a roundabout and it is much better now. But they looked at, you know, for whatever reason, Americans don't like roundabouts. In Europe, roundabouts are very common. They uh, And apparently, and they looked at all the research, they are cheaper than traffic lights. They keep the traffic moving faster and they are safer. And, you know, but who would have taken the time to look at all of this stuff about roundabouts? And it's not like there's a whole series of podcasts about roundabouts. They did one, 
or maybe two. Maybe it was part A and part part one, part two. I don't, I can't remember, but it was wonderful. But it's one of Freakonomics, one of my favorite podcasts. But they have a spinoff podcast called No Stupid Questions. And No Stupid Questions is hosted by two people who I'm pretty sure are one percenters, A-listers, super smart, but they're very easy to understand. They're very engaging. And when they're talking about something, you can easily digest it. And, and their names are Angela Duckworth and Mike Maughan. Mike is an executive with a company called Qualtrics, and Angela is a research psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, and she has also authored a book called Grit. So that's what I know about them. Uh, but they started talking about, and this is what I'm going to spend the rest of this podcast talk about, talking about. They started talking about something called the Zygarnik effect and what it has to do with the idea of closure. And, you know, we in the news, we talk about closure all the time. Uh, unfortunately, we usually talk about it in the case of a trial or in the case of a murder. Uh, you know, we'll say, well, that, that family needed closure on that, right? So um, if, there has, if there has been a, a murder, and unfortunately, we talk about that a lot on the news, and police are looking for a suspect we will say something to the effect of, yeah, that family really needs closure. They need to know who did that. And then I think what happens is, is, is you don't get a lot of information because it's an ongoing investigation and the police and the prosecutors don't want to give away all of the information they plan to use at trial. And so you wait for the trial and then a lot of stuff comes out in the trial. You can finally report. And so the the victim's families can hear what happened. And then, of course, uh, they are hoping that police had the right guy and that the jury convicts that guy. And then we can say they had closure. And, you know, we've said, we, I've told some version of that story so many times on the news that I even wondered if closure was a real thing or if it was just a, something you said on the news to, um, to have a way to talk about what was going on in the mind of the families of, the, of these victims. And, um, you know, it could be a traffic accident, you know, what happened to cause the crash, you know, you know, whatever. Um, but people, people need closure. Okay. That's, that is the point of, uh, the Zygarnik effect. If you connect a few dots. So what is the backstory to this waiter that I have mentioned a few times? Well, it was just uh, over a hundred years ago, according to the story, and they told this on the podcast, and and I did a quick Google search, and I honestly I didn't take it beyond Wikipedia. Uh, I just wanted to confirm that you know there was something to this, and there is um, that this uh, researcher, a Lithuanian Soviet psychologist named Bluma Zygarnik, studied the phenomenon after her professor, Gestalt psychologist Kurt Lewin, noticed that that waiter had better recollections of still unpaid orders. However, after the completion of the task, after everyone had paid, he was unable to remember any more details of the orders or anything about the party who had ordered it. So here's, here is the story that they related on the podcast. So uh, this group goes out to dinner. The waiter comes. He's one of those Uber waiters uh, who remembers everything perfectly, gets their order perfect, 
brings them the food, serves them, and they paid and they left. But somebody left their coat inside. And so then they realized it half an hour later-ish. Uh, they go back, somebody goes back in and finds that waiter and says, oh God, here's the guy with the great memory and says, yeah, we, we left uh, a coat, we think in our chair. And he said, I'm sorry, sir. Who are you? He told him and they eventually, uh, you know, they, they, they figured it out. But the fact is, is that this guy a half hour later could not remember somebody from that dinner party, even though he had perfectly remembered their orders. So these folks are psychologists and they start doing some research. And what they discover is, is that if you have unfinished business, it stays open in your mind. But once that business is finished, then your mind closes that off and it can discard it and it can move on to the next thing. They designed some experiments because this is this is just anecdotal, right? But they designed some experiments in the lab to uncover the processes underlying this phenomenon. So the hosts of this podcast, Mon and Duckworth, then proceed to connect a bunch of dots without huge leaps of faith in my mind. And they walk the listener down the road that showed how these other studies proved that this is a way of the brain protecting itself from emotional stress by clearing out its sort of surface hard drive, maybe it's RAM, if you will, uh, to leave your brain open to receive and to process new information without going into overload and therefore causing stress. So there's the waiter example. Now, they have all kinds of experiments. Let's face it, they live in the academic realm and they can bear it out uh, and in my mind, it made lots of sense. So if you want to really drill down on this, then I'm going to ask you to just click on the link in the show notes. But if something negative happens to you, what they suggest is that you need to face it. You need to get all the information you can, either by research or if this is negative and it's happened with another person they suggest that you have a difficult conversation uh, so you can find out what led to your disagreement. And you may not, you may ultimately agree to disagree, but because you have the closure, you can at least move on from it. I, ha- I recently had an argument with a coworker, and this thing festered and it festered and it festered until it blew up after about a month at work and we got behind closed doors and we let each other have it. And and I told this person why I thought that they had wronged me and, and how it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and I got to tell you that after it blew up, I felt so much better. Um, and so I've been able to move on from it. And I think our working relationship is much better. And honestly, I, I would say that this other person, uh, at least in terms of our daily interaction, I, I feel like it was improved for them as well. Okay, so let me leave that at that. But that's just another piece of anecdotal information. But here's something that is interesting about this Zygarnik effect. It is also true of positive experiences, right? Like, so you want closure, right? If something bad happens to you, you want to you want to get rid of it. But they also um, 
they said it's true of positive experiences. And unfortunately, if you get closure on a positive experience, you'll stop receiving so much benefit from it. And you're thinking, okay, um, John, what are you talking about? So they talked about another study that was done where they had um, people who didn't know each other well exchange valentines. So if you received a valentine, it was like, say, from a classmate where you knew who that person was, but you didn't know them well. There was no romantic interest. You received a valentine that said something complimentary uh, to you. Uh, it, it said something to, oh, I think you're really interesting or I think you're fun or I think it'd be you know great to spend more time together, you know, signed so-and-so in certain percentage of their cases, that's what they did. But in the other percentage of those cases, and I'm sorry for all my pauses, I'm I'm thinking this through because I want to get it right. And remember, I have COVID. Okay. But in the other percentage, they didn't have the Valentines signed. So you didn't know who said the nice things about you. And they found that feeling of happy euphoria, uh, of wondering, like, oh, who thinks I'm interesting? This is really cool. Like, I'm, I'm looking around. I want to know. Somebody out there thinks I'm wonderful. And as long as they left that door open, that feeling of happiness continued, or it continued at a higher level, at least than those people who knew, right? Pretty interesting, right? Um, so, and so I've thought of a couple of asides. Uh, which are nothing as interesting as a valentine and certainly not scientifically vetted. Um, but at this point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot a little bit and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a project that I took on in the, uh, in the month of December, and that is a pretty significant aquarium build. And I found myself having undue amounts of enjoyment from putting together this aquarium. And I, and I will tell you right off the bat that this is a project that took me weeks, okay? Uh, this is a very complicated planted aquarium. And, and so what you do with these fish tanks is uh, it's, not, it's not like you get a glass box, you put some gravel in the bottom, you push some plants into the gravel and you arrange some rocks or a bubbler or something like that and you fill it with water and you put the fish in and you put the filter on and you turn the light on and voila, you've got an aquarium. This is an aquarium that has probably 10 or 15 different kinds of living plants. I'm injecting CO2 into the water. Uh, it has advanced lighting um, it has um, advanced substrate, which is designed to support the growth of the plants. Um, and all of this started out with my research and, and doing lots and lots of reading. I had an empty aquarium here in my office. Actually, it hadn't been empty, but it had been, it had just been ugly. I had a couple of fish swimming around in it that I was paying no attention to. I, they were mean. I took them out of another fish tank. I threw them in there so they wouldn't hurt the other fish. And basically, um, I rehomed them with one of our clients because you may have heard me say that I actually have an aquarium maintenance 
business. So I rehomed the mean fish and I had this empty aquarium and I started researching and then I started buying and I started buying online. And so I'm waiting, but to see while I'm doing that, there's all this anticipation, right? This is the unsigned Valentine. I've got all this into, okay, so what is this new gravel going to look like? And then I'm watching YouTube videos and they're showing me how to aquascape the aquarium so that I don't just have, you know, this flat, uh, and I'll put a picture in the show notes, so I don't just have this like flat aquascape, but I've got the gravel piled up in the corners and I've got tall plants in certain places. And then I found this rock that a lot of aquascapers use called dragonstone which doesn't alter the ph or the water chemistry in any way and it's it's very beautiful it has lots of holes in it. it's very interesting and uh, it only comes from very very small places very remote places in the world so um it, it, you wouldn't even know it unless you saw it in the um, aquarium hobby so I ordered, I found some Dragonstone that I could buy. So I got the Dragonstone. And then I'm looking at how these guys do these advanced, advanced. And, and for whatever reason, it's really big in Eastern Europe. And I'm watching these guys on YouTube. And they do these advanced aquariums. And go, every aquarium, every layout has to have a story. And it becomes like living art. Okay. And I, I'm not an artist, but I'm trying to learn what I need to know um, to, to make this work. And this has nothing to do with like keeping the fish alive. Like this is getting just, I spent days like with a paintbrush and a dry paintbrush putting in the the gravel and then sweeping it into just the right place and then a different kind of gravel and sweeping that into the right place and then putting this dragon stone in so it looked as if the earth erupted and and drew it all together and all the rocks are at a certain angle and I am boring you to death right now I am so so sorry but believe me this this comes back to sarcoidosis at the end I promise you so at any rate, I'm in there with, you know, just, you know, I took a whole morning just with a paintbrush, just, just like, just sweeping the gravel around. And then I ordered the plants. And then I started going to the local Petco's and PetSmart's and, and I bought a few more plants. And then I ordered some online and I kept all the plants moist until it was time to do the planting. And then one day I got in there and I used these special tweezers that are designed just for planting aquariums. And I added the plants and I, I, I got everything going around this aquascape and these beautiful rocks. And I, I mean, I went to bed at night euphoric. <laughs> I, was, I would think, oh, I'm going to sleep so good tonight. I can't wait to see how that looks tomorrow when I turn the light on and so forth and so on. And, and even as I speak to you now, I still see places in the aquarium where I will add more plants. I see some plants that did not survive for whatever reason. I, I still don't know why, but they're clearly already dead. Um, so guess what? I get to buy more plants. I get to replace them. I've now put the fish in for about a, about a week now, right before Christmas. I put the fish in. Um, so there's, there's, and they're just very basic fish. And I, I'm a guy, I've got a saltwater aquarium downstairs with fish that retail for over $200. And the fish that are in this planted tank cost about two bucks a piece. And I've got nine of them and I love them. All right. Because they are compatible with the plants. They're all, it's all, all pretty much think Amazon river basin in South America. So why does this work? How does the, the zygarnic effect work? Well, 
for one thing, the plants are going to grow or they're not, and the fish are going to thrive or they're not. And so every time I come into the office, I have something new to look at. It's like, are the plants growing? Did I, did I do this right? Is this aquascape going to grow into what I envisioned? Because the plants I planted are baby plants. And when they grow up to be full-size plants, they might be too big for the spot where I put them. Or they might not grow. Or it might be perfect. And or they might block the rocks more than I want them to. And all that money I spend on my beautiful dragon stone might be no good. But the point is, is that it like it keeps on giving me pleasure because there's something to do and and there's something to anticipate. And it's that feeling of anticipation. It's that Valentine from the unknown admirer that that kind of keeps that door open. And that's led me to look at some other things like if. If like people who do vegetable gardens or flower gardens, do they really want the flowers? Do they really want the veggies? I mean, they do. That's the end result. I really want a beautiful fish tank as an end result. But, but you know, do you plant carrots? Because at the end of the day, you want carrots. Because let's face it, in the United States, for a lot of people, vegetables are very affordable. You know, flowers are very affordable. I can walk into Kroger and get my wife a very nice bouquet for five bucks. Maybe it's seven bucks now, but you know, but, but you plant the flowers, you water them, you tend to them, you're invested in them and it gives you something to do. It gives you something to anticipate. You want it to go right. And so it's sort of that open-ended version of the positive zygarnic effect. Let's call it anti-closure because you don't want the closure. You know, at the end of the year, the, the, the garden dies when it gets cold, at least here in Virginia in the Northeast where I grew up. So anyway, that's that's the Zygarnik effect, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, and you should go back and you should listen to that episode, which will also be in the show notes, and make sure that I didn't butcher all of their analogies and all of their conclusions. So, But now that I've told you what it's about, I want to ask you, what does this have to do with sarcoidosis? And I will just say right up front, forgive me if this is a dot that I am pushing too hard to connect, but hear me out. Depending upon where you are in your battle with sarcoidosis, you have varying degrees of closure. Uh, To a certain extent, some of you have no closure. Some of you who have been battling it for a long time, maybe you've turned the corner a little bit, um, you, you feel like you have some closure. Some people have been battling it for a long time, and you don't feel any better now than you did 12 years ago. And and, and maybe, you know, in your case, you, you don't have closure. In my case, just I, I use myself as an example. I don't want to talk about myself, but I, I can do that because I give myself permission to talk about my health publicly. Um, in this uh, HIPAA world, um, I feel like my SARC is now controlled. And after a few years of this, I'm not as fixated on it as I was when it was in my face every day and I had no idea what was next. Like I wanted that closure. I wanted to know what was next. I wanted to know what was inside my body. I wanted to know if there was a drug that was going to help. And for a long time, I didn't know those answers and I couldn't let it drop. Um, now I've, I've got a couple of drugs and they're working. Um, but I also wonder, is sarcoidosis just hiding around the corner. I always wonder what, you know, what if it comes back? In the last podcast I shared with you, I had some severe back pain and spent a night in the fear that uh, the swelling on my spinal cord had returned as it did in 2018, thus trashing most of my 2019 as I dealt with the after effects. So 
you know, my closure isn't complete, probably never will be, but it's not front and center like many of you who reach out and talk to me about what's going on in your life. So let's say in my case, the door's at least halfway closed. Now, Sark, of course, which is such an enigma, uh, is keeping you guessing as to what's going on with you. You're asking those same questions I was. Um, And there's no way to know the answers right now. Uh, except to confront it. You want to talk to the experts. You want to talk to your doctor. You want to read about it. Perhaps you're listening to this podcast where I endeavor to give you straight talk about the disease. Um, and, and I also have patients and researchers join me and they tell either their stories or their situations or the research, all so that the unknown can become known. And hopefully, That helps you get to where you need to be. You want answers. You need to know what happened, that all of a sudden your normal life got T-boned by this disease that no one ever heard of, right? Uh, You want to know what it is. You want to know where it came from. You want to know why it does what it does. Why did it do it to you in particular? Will it ever get better? What What are your options uh, you know, what are the drugs that may or may not work? What is the possibility of a new drug down the road? Like I was talking about with some of the news clips that I read to you earlier. And until you know those answers, you won't have closure. And in your mind, it's an unfinished task. So your brain is still open. It won't close it off. You are that waiter and table five just won't pay their check so that you can move on and delete the information from your hard drive and free up more space. That's what that waiter has to do with sarcoidosis. What do you think? Have I, I think I've connected a dot that needed connecting there. I think it is a new way to look at why we get so stressed out about this disease and and why people with sarcoidosis are so fixated on their sarcoidosis. I mean, if you break your leg in a car accident, you pretty much know what happened. You may not know what caused the accident, but eventually you'll find that out for the most part. Um, but and you know that they can they can put your leg in a cast and that your leg can heal and that you can do physical therapy and that you can come back. Sarcoidosis, you don't know those things. You just don't know. So back to my aquarium. now. So now I think you understand my, why my little project brought me so much joy because it was and is open-ended like the letter from the unknown Valentine and I get to anticipate positively what might still be in the offing. Um, and if everything dies, uh, good Lord, if I walk in every day, one day and all the plants are brown and the fish are dead, well, then I'm, I'm going to have to get some answers or I'm, I'm going to have to... I may not get closure on my fish tank, but I, I, I don't, uh, I, I'm using my fish tank to make light of this situation, not sarcoidosis. But I wanted to circle back now, as promised, to my Christmas present, that new kayak and the trailer that will make it possible for me to get on the water more often since I can now load and unload myself. And also to try out this new type of kayak where I can keep my hands free for fishing and just pedal, which is kind of what I do on my bicycle, and I should be able to improve my fitness while I'm doing this and have all these great days fishing. But it's January here in Virginia, 
And so for the next few months, it is going to be way too cold for effective fishing, at least for a duffer like me. And if I were to tip over in water that's probably less than 50 degrees, that would not be good. So not something I'm very likely to go out and do. But that's okay, because for now, it's the anticipation. It's open-ended. It's possibilities. It's possibilities that I can think about as I'm falling asleep at night. It's catching a big fish or maybe catching many fish or maybe just having a cup of coffee on the water at sunrise because, did I mention, my new kayak has a very nice cup holder Um, or, or even things that I enjoy about the experience. Breakfast at a diner with my buddy Gary. Um, You know, it's just it's just the, the kind of way that I can anticipate what's going to happen. And, and so I can enjoy that kayak just with what it represents. And so I've got that open-ended version of the, uh, of the effect, right? The, the Zygarnik effect. So there you go. What do you think? And besides, I should point out, while I'm waiting to use my kayak, cold weather is the perfect time to sit inside and watch the aquarium. Okay, the official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band that he plays in, the White Hot Lizards in Alberta, Canada. Hear Mark's story behind his lyrics in episode 12. He is a fellow Sark Fighter. I release the Sark Fighter podcast every other Monday. As I'm speaking today, my trusty boxer Dougal is not curled up in the chair in my office because we are fostering a puppy and she is now 12 weeks old. Her name is Shandy. My wife works at the local SPCA and we've had Shandy for three weeks. We'll have her for another couple of weeks. I don't know if we're going to adopt her. I would like to think that we would, but you know, we foster a lot of puppies, but this one is really sticking with us. She's tan. She's the exact same color as Dougal the Boxer. And she is half golden retriever and half pit bull. Um, so we will see. But for now, she just has a wonderfully sweet personality. And Dougal loves to play with her. She loves to play with Dougal. And they are downstairs tussling. Long story short, Dougal is not in the chair in my office. Remember the backstory to the founding of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson. They are wonderful people. Please follow Sark Fighter on Facebook, on Instagram. I'm on Peloton as Sark Fighter. And my cycling blog, Carlin the Cyclist, has a section called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. You can look for a post sometime in April about pedaling my kayak with sarcoidosis. Just I know that's coming. Also, if you're new here and just trying to figure out what Sark is, try listening to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. My story is episode one. Please send me an email. It's in the show notes, carlinagency at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I want to know if you think I was stretching to tie uh, sarcoidosis back into this psychological uh, effect called the Zygarnik effect. Um, or if you think I nailed it, but let me know. And if you'd like to appear on the podcast, that's the best way to get in touch with me as well. Until next time, keep fighting.